So we're sitting here on February 25th uh, as uh, Putin and Russian forces are rolling into Kiev, and we know it's a challenging time. But as we take a look at what's happened in recent months, I think one thing that's very impressive, and that's the remarkable sense of unity that has been built up by coalition partners, by allies, but also those who haven't always been allies in opposing Putin's actions. What are your views on 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 the efforts to date in, in building and maintaining a coalition in opposition to the Russian invasion? General Petraeus? I think it's been very impressive. And, you know, I've criticized the uh, current administration uh, about the decision in Afghanistan and the execution of it. I think it's only fair to to offer some praise uh, for the way that they have consulted just around the clock, uh, have built again unity. Uh, I'm just back from the Munich Security Conference uh, several days ago. I've gone there for years. I've never seen the kind of unity that was expressed there uh, since the end of the Cold War. I saw it when I was a speechwriter for the Supreme Allied Commander of Europe as a young major went there for the first time. It was all about the alliance and so forth. In the wake of the Cold War, NATO was a little bit adrift. It was seeking a new, you know, what is the reason to live? Uh, out of area threats was a consideration and so forth. Well, in this case, while Vladimir Putin is out to make Russia great again, and that's a work in progress at best, uh, and we are doing all that we can to thwart that, he has clearly made NATO great again. Uh, it is a central uh, organization to this particular effort. Uh, again, there is enormous unity. Yes, it may take a bit sometimes to get complete unity on something as traumatic as cutting off Russian access to the SWIFT financial transaction system. But it was very impressive, again, to see leader after leader at that Munich Security Conference uh, express absolute solidarity uh, in opposition uh, to Russia and what Russia at that time might do. And now to see it continue as Russia has actually carried out this brutal, horrible uh, invasion uh, of their neighbor and of really in many respects, um, you know, a fellow Russian country in some respects, but which their actions in recent years since 2014 have actually increased the sense of Ukrainian identity uh, as separate and distinct from that of Russia. So this has been seriously impressive. And if you saw uh, on day one uh, when Putin's forces went into Ukraine, the very first leader to announce the very first sanction was the chancellor of Germany in the job only for really still weeks after the 15, 16 years of Chancellor Merkel. And he announces the biggest sanction that anyone could have hoped for from, from uh, Germany, uh, which was to put the certification of Nord Stream 2, the natural gas pipeline direct from uh, Russia into Germany on hold. Uh, with, you know, there are consequences for Germany in this regard as well in terms of the price of natural gas uh, in the final months of winter. So what has gone on here, I think, has been very, very impressive, and it has actually extended beyond NATO as well. Uh, it's our other partners in, in uh, the Indo-Pacific region uh, that have all stood up and said that borders are inviolable. Uh, this kind of uh, aggression cannot be permitted. Uh, it's a complete and utter uh, violation of all the principles that have really guided the world since the establishment of the UN Charter in the wake of World War II. Uh, 
Uh, and certainly it's the biggest event for Europe since the end of the Cold War. So great to see everyone come together in the way that we have. And the UK, by the way, of course, now no longer part of the EU, uh, has actually walked point for several of these, uh, these initiatives. They were the first C-17s to land in Ukraine. You know, normally the UK is drafting off the US to use a bicycle analogy. In this case, the US drafted off the UK, certainly came in with 10 times the C-17s, as we should, but it was the UK that started it. So again, this is, is very impressive. And I think the administration does deserve um, a degree of praise and compliments uh, for what it has done tirelessly, uh, indefatigably, and very impressively. Sir John, the view from the UK and Europe. Well, uh, I agree uh, with all of that. And uh, the quality of the decision making and the thinking lying behind it, which of course includes uh, the um, uh, you know, quite unusual and day by day by day, hour by hour use of, uh, of intelligence, of course, situation and the intelligence, if you like, um, available from it. I mean, we can call it intelligence, but the, the data management from it, in, in a way, in many respects, made that uh, made that easier. Uh, and it was uh, easier to protect sources and, and, and so on because of the nature of the situation. We have to acknowledge that. But still, um, uh, of course, it's absolutely critical uh, that, if you like, um, uh, unhappily, uh, it was proven to be right. And so... Uh, the, all the doubts that were being expressed right up until the last minute, particularly across Europe, um, as to what was going to happen and what Russian intentions were, and they were removed by not just by what the Russians did yesterday, but also what um, uh, uh, Putin uh, said. And, and not just Putin, by the way. I mean, as you know, um, uh, Mark, uh, I was in uh, Russia for three days or two days last week, and in Moscow. And, um, and, of course, I heard much of the same thing building up. And in fact, I came away uh, feeling quite clear in my mind that, you know, this was something like this was going to happen. I'd found it hard beforehand to get my head around it, frankly, uh, that it was uh, really, you know, definitely going to happen. But having listened uh, for a couple of days, um, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't surprised. However, I don't want to be gloomy, but all the same, you know, just being cautious uh, in a way, preserving unity in these circumstances in the face of the intelligence which is there, which wasn't, wasn't completely accepted by everybody within the alliance, um, <clears throat> uh, has been relatively straightforward uh, in the run-up to the present situation. Uh, but the big test is going to come in the period ahead um, if we assume uh, that, you know, However difficult the Russians might find it, establishing control in Ukraine, that is clearly what they're determined to do. Uh, and there is a, there's a chance, quite a high chance, that they will be effective in establishing uh, control, um, including over the government and so on. I mean, this is something, you know, in a way uh, that they know how to do, what I have to see. Um, but what does NATO do then? Um, what, do, you know, what do the Allies uh, do then? How do you face, you know, and answer the question as well, that do we maintain some kind of contact with Vladimir Putin or do we just, you know, expel him from everything and refuse to do business? Well, we may say that, you know, to start with, and I, I'm just seeing coming up um, the news items that the Council of, the Council of Europe um, 
has um, expelled Russia or has removed Russia. Uh, even worse, they've been expelled from the Eurovision Song Contest, which is very serious. Uh, and uh, of course, the football, football tournaments and everything. I mean, that, that is underway um, at the moment. And of course, it's being accelerated in a way by what the language that uh, Putin is using. Um, well, you know, I've, I've sort of dealt with him or around him and so on for years and years, but I'm a bit surprised at some of the things I'm hearing now. Um, and um, <clears throat> and they'll talk about denazification and genocide and so on. It, it, it's extraordinary, of course, uh, that's, you know, having a negative impact um, globally, not just in, in Europe, and it makes unification easier, but still it's almost guaranteed that there's gonna be an argument about how we deal with Putin in the future if he, as it were, in the short term wins out um, in terms of controlling Ukraine and is a big player and is the big player in, in, in Russia still. And uh, the arguments for maintaining contact and uh, having negotiating and moderating capability and all those things are, are, going to be, uh, are going to be there. So we're going to have to think about that. And that's going to be quite subtle. I mean, we must also remember uh, that uh, listening to the speeches from Ukrainian government figures now, including Zelensky, and indeed he was like this at Munich, he's saying, uh, okay, thank you all very much for your big support and your big words, but you know, that's not enough. Uh, at the end of the day, Ukraine is, as it were, protecting Europe on, on its own. Everybody from the president and the prime minister downwards is saying, well, we're not, and, and indeed our defense secretary, former Scots Guards officer, uh, we're not actually going to, of course, put troops into Ukraine and we're not going to end up fighting any Russians because it's just far too risky. But of course, you know, it's quite easy to agree with that, but we've got to think through the consequences of saying that and for it to be so clear that when it came to it, NATO was not able uh, to stop uh, the invasion of, okay, not a NATO member, uh, but a partner country and a close partner country. Uh, and so I'm expecting the, the test for NATO, if you like, and the test for unified decision making uh, and indeed leadership. Um, I, I expect those to be more tight and more uh, severe and serious in the period likely to be ahead, even than they've been so far. So uh, obviously we're seeing a succession of uh, <coughs> packages of sanctions coming out from the U.S., from the U.K., and for many others. And yet we're also seeing that Vladimir Putin had months to prepare. And so he squirreled away resources. He has as much as he can uh, taken steps to protect data, to protect his systems. So for all of the talk that we have about sanctions and shocking on sanctions, are we doomed to fail given that Putin had so much time to prepare? Sir John, I'll begin with you. Uh, well, the sanctions on their own, certainly now, uh, are not going to well they, they haven't stopped him um him uh it, it carrying on with the invasion and in in, uh, in effect a full-scale invasion uh, and it was very clear with what i was hearing last week that they were sort of being semi-discounted you know in uh, in discussions and policy making discussions in uh, in in moscow because what we're dealing with here is from the russian point of view uh, a very deep or at least from a putin point of view a very deep and fundamental issue uh, the future of Ukraine and the future relationship of Ukraine and indeed the territories around it um, with uh, with Russia uh, and, um, and and you know just listening to his speeches in the last few days 
and reading his article from last July and all that, uh, you can see uh, the thinking and the emotions which are in, in, involved here. Um, and so you know, sanctions are probably um, a, a detail, um, however serious you might think they are, and they, they take quite a long time to have an effect. And the idea that somehow or another business oligarch friends of the president are going to turn up in the Kremlin and say, well, I'm sorry, you know, it's going to affect our, our apartment in Kensington uh, and you mustn't do it. I mean, that will well past that stage. Well past that stage. General Petraeus, uh, since Putin has had so much time to prepare, uh, are sanctions doomed to fail? No, uh, they were doomed to fail to prevent him from attacking, clearly. Yeah. Uh, but these sanctions can have an enormous effect over time. Uh, the problem is, of course, that as was noted, he has prepared. Uh, Russia has over $600 billion in foreign reserves uh, stored up. It has a very small debt to GDP ratio, many, many multiples less than ours, for example. Yeah. Um, and again, he is has been working to try to figure out how he could build resilience uh, for the Russian economy and even for himself. You know, a, a yacht that's believed to be his, for example, slipped out of a European port recently and is presumably headed towards Sochi or somewhere. Um, so again, they can't bring him to his knees in the short term. He'll continue doing what he's doing. And, and inevitably, there's no question that over time, Russian forces will overwhelm the Ukrainian forces. The question is whether this becomes so painful, whether this becomes <laughs> Russia's Afghanistan, if you will. And of course, Putin's old enough to remember that humiliating experience. And you have a situation here where the population at large is really very anti-Russian at this point in time, where uh, you know all males are expected to join the effort to resist. So again, their organized military forces cannot withstand uh, the onslaught of the Russian forces, but they are fighting hard. They're going to make them pay a very high price, and the bleeding won't stop. Uh, again, they may control the outskirts of Kiev, but you know to take down a city. Uh, to clear a city of those who are fighting against you of three million people, that is serious work. Uh, and in the end, it will result in enormous damage to Kiev because there will be a point at which the military commanders will take a sniper shot from a building. They'll just destroy that building. So you'll see a bit of what went on in Grozny, I suspect. But the idea would be to make it so painful to make it a porcupine, as the Ukrainians said to, to me, the parliamentary delegation at the Munich Security Conference said, we will be a porcupine that the bear cannot, cannot digest, cannot swallow. Uh, and then perhaps there's some opportunity for some kind of uh, negotiated settlement uh, with you know, Ukraine declaring that it will be neutral uh, and, and so forth. But this is going to be really hard for the Russians long term. Uh, it's not, again, these tactical battles and successes that they will inevitably at some point enjoy. Again, uh, they have vastly more resources. Over time, though, this is going to be very, very difficult for them to continue to control. It's not even clear to me that they'll be able to go all the way to the West. They'll do damage to Lviv. They're already shelling it or hitting it with bombs and missiles and so forth. They can do a great deal of damage, but whether they can control these major metropolitan areas I think it's very much in question. Yes, I am. Um, 
Sorry. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I very much agree with that. The key point to watch, I mean, we're talking about sanctions and so on, and Western governments are talking about sanctions, but the key point to watch is what is actually happening on the ground uh, and the degree and, and effectiveness or otherwise of, uh, of resistance. Uh, and of course, uh, in particular, uh, of course, the damage and the casualties uh, and so on, which are suffered. And it's very important to remember uh, that uh, part of the risk that has been taken by Moscow here is that um, there's, you know, there's going to, I mean, you see very little sign of public enthusiasm in Moscow or in Russia uh, for this campaign. Well, it's opposition. There yes, are demonstrations seeing... on the street, even though the Russian authorities yep. have said, if you demonstrate, we will detain you. It's going to be rough. Yep. And you will have a criminal record as a result of this. And you still see fairly sizable uh, demonstrations in major Russian cities. No, I, I agree. And, uh, and one didn't get any sense, I must say, um, just from being there and sort of uh, obviously just a very limited number of uh, uh, government policymaking uh, meetings and so on last week uh, of sort of growing enthusiasm or support at all. So the risk and, of course, also the sense that, uh, I mean, I, quite a few people who said, War between Russia and Ukraine is unthinkable. And that word unthinkable was used quite a lot. And of course, because you know, uh, you've got an uncle in, uh, in uh, Kiev or um, a cousin in Lvov or whatever, I'm afraid I, I'm using the Russian expressions for the, um, the names for the towns there. I, it's my Soviet background, which is uh, giving me away. I can't get my head around these Ukrainian city names. Uh, and uh, there are personal connections, family connections. Um, and you know, KGB was full of Ukrainian officers and uh, commanders and so on. Uh, it's very complicated. This, of course, goes into the Putin point about we're all one country, but that we're all one country cuts both ways. And if he, if he, if if the if the damage is big enough, uh, and it goes on for long enough, then that is what is going to count. Gentlemen, uh, you've been generous with your time. One last question. This is already being referred to as the TikTok war because of the use of technologies in which everyday citizens are able to get messages out and images out. And it's sort of working both ways, right? It 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 is shown when Russian forces have been moving on places. On the other hand, it is also shown uh, the courage of everyday Ukrainians. Is this what we're going to see going forward? Uh, handheld technology, the battle of handheld technology shaping how the world looks at conflicts? Sir John, I'll start with you. Uh, well, yes. Um, well, inevitably, it's going to be uh, <laughs> it's going to be there, particularly if it's like this uh, to us, if it's so close in, uh, in, in Europe. And you can see that for all their famous and their famed control of disinformation and so on, uh, that uh, the Russian authorities uh, are on the defensive about this, uh, and they don't quite know how to um, they don't quite know how to handle it. And it's not surprising that they don't. So it's a big it's a big issue and problem for them. Yes, General Petraeus. Everyone is a reporter with a cell phone in hand <laughs> uh, and can contribute to the public debate and so forth. Uh, TikTok, Twitter, a few of these other social uh, media applications enable that. And I'd almost say it's the aggregators war because it's those that can aggregate all of these, um, you know, in, in data mining, if you will, that can have the algorithms to bring it all together and then to present it uh, to their customers, their clients, uh, and to show in a way what is taking place on the ground 
literally real time. And that's quite extraordinary. Um, if you think they can literally beat the chain of command, which is reporting, it's even flatter now than back in my day, you know, all the way to the Pentagon. So if you really want to know what's going on, it used to be turn on CNN. Uh, now it would be to have one of these feeds alongside CNN and alongside your own command and control network. So this is very significant. Uh, and, you know, we've long uh, known this in the in intelligence community at the CIA, in fact, runs uh, for the Director of National Intelligence, the Open Source Center. The CIA has a very substantial number of people uh, who are committed to doing nothing but mining social yep. media, the internet, all of these different sources yep. of information, and then fusing it with traditional sources of information from human uh, digital uh, imagery, cyber signals and so forth, actual intelligence, uh, and then to present a finished product uh, to someone in the national security policy-making realm. The really in interesting initiative here is something, again, that Sir John mentioned earlier, which is the United States taking this finished product, ensuring that it will not expose sources and methods, laundering it a bit, perhaps, and then putting it out as public information, but doing it very, very rapidly uh, and presenting ground truth. You know, we tr we sought to do this in Iraq during the surge when I was privileged to be the commander. Our, our admonition uh, for the dealing with the press aspect of our job was to be first with the truth. So beat the bad guys to the headlines, but with the truth as you know it at that time. You know, don't put lipstick on pigs, don't spin, don't just get it out there. And try to, again, to beat the extremists, the Iranian-supported militia, the insurgents, to get that headline so at best they get the sub subtitle, not the top. Um, and in this case, the Biden administration is doing that very impressively. Uh, and I think it has also shown how good the intelligence has been because they have, sadly, predicted precisely what has happened, what has unfolded. Right. Uh, thanks to both of you. I really do appreciate the extra time. Uh, sadly, these conversations will need to be continued, I suspect, for weeks and months to come. Uh, Dave Petraeus, John Scarlett, thank you very, very much. Much appreciated. Privilege. Thank you very much, Alastair. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, John.